Yeah, good morning to you once again. Uh, very lovely to be here on a Sunday. It's always such a, pr- a pleasure to gather with God's people, and it is a privilege to share the word today. And so we are on the series of Mark, um, which has been so amazing. And today I get to preach on chapter 6 from verse 30 to 44. And so what we do see here is that Mark records a very familiar miracle Uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which is recorded by all four Gospels. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible, the Gospels are the first four books of the Bible, which is Matthew um, of the New Testament, not just the Bible. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of these books tell us a lot about the life of Jesus, his life, his works, his death, and his resurrection. And so when we refer to the Gospel, we're not talking about um, Maverick City or Hillsong or Joy Celebration, whatever your vibe might be. You'd be surprised. Some people have actually um, mentioned those groups. So I think with this miracle, what we can often miss is that there's just something of magnificence that's happening here. And what we get to see, and what hopefully we'll get to see this morning, is the magnificence of our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. So last week, we saw the story of the beheading of John the Baptist, and so there was a banquet, a grief-filled banquet, but it was a a banquet nonetheless. But what we'll get to see this morning is a very magnificent banquet. The banquet with with Herod had a lot of gore as John lost his head and was presented um, on a platter to the host, but in this morning, we'll see a wonderful banquet, the banquet of our Lord Jesus Christ the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be demonstrated. And so, as I had mentioned earlier, this is the only miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels um, by all writers. So keep in mind that um, Mark is trying to present a different perspective here. And all Gospel accounts are trying to highlight something unique about Jesus. And so we might get the same story, but from different angles, because they're all trying to highlight something unique about Jesus. And so, for example, we look at John 6, um, John, the Gospel of John in chapter 6. And John's main point here is that Jesus is the bread of life. And the motif here in Mark's Gospel is that of Jesus Christ as a shepherd. But not just any shepherd, but our good shepherd. In fact, as we go through this passage today, we can pull out many Old Testament themes. One of them being the wilderness, or the desolate place, or the remote place. It basically comes up three times in this passage. So there's a feeding of the multitudes in the wilderness, which we see in Exodus 16 and in the rest of the Exodus wanderings. But there's also another major theme, uh, which is found in verse 34, when Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, to an Israelite, a shepherd wasn't only um, just a person who watched over sheep or animals, but in fact... It can be argued that every time the word appears in the Old Testament, it refers to a shepherd leader or a shepherd king. Now, we come across this, this phrase in Numbers 27, verse 17, and it, it is being used here for the very first time. Here, Moses is about to die, and he's on the verge of the promised land, and he's very concerned about who will lead the people of God into the promised land. And so, he's so concerned that he uses the phrase, Lord, I don't want your people to be like sheep without a shepherd. But God mentions Joshua as the one who will take his his people to the promised land. 
We also have David in First Kings, um, verse uh, chapter twenty-two, verse seven, who's referred to as a shepherd, not just a shepherd, as a shepherd king. And there's a prophecy that is in that verse, and it says, "I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd." And then the famous verse that I wanted to open is in Ezekiel 34, from verse 5 to 8. And here, God speaks negatively of the shepherds who were led to Israel. So I'm going to read from verse 5 to 8. And it reads, They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals. And when, when they were scattered... Okay, I'll start again. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal. And because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock. So there it is. I thought I would bring that out. But we also see in Matthew uh, 2 verse 6, where Micah 5 verse 2 is quoted. And how do we know that? So we basically see that at the bottom of our Bibles, um, we have footnotes, depending on the Bible. Some of them run in the middle. And they help us realize that the Bible is actually one unified book, which is telling one story from beginning to end. And God is, is the center. He's the protagonist of it. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And scripture must always be interpreted by scripture. And so from that verse, what we get is this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, you are small among the clans of Judah. But out of you will come for you who will who will be ruler or shepherd over Israel, whose origins are of old, from ancient times. Quite clearly, the idea of Jesus as a shepherd is on Mark's mind as he records this gospel. And so last week, what we did see is an example of a very bad shepherd, Herod. He was a ruler of Israel, but he was a very bad shepherd. Now we see the example of a good shepherd who will lead his people through the wilderness into green pastures. And so the point which Mark tries to make here is that the nation of Israel needs a good shepherd. They need Jesus. But I think you and I can agree this morning that we all need Jesus. I'd also like to highlight a few things about a good shepherd. And firstly, the, de- the shepherd is deeply concerned about us. Let's have a look at verse 30 to 32. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourself to a remote place and rest for a while. Excuse me. For, many, for many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. And so the apostles are gathered around, um, around Jesus after they have returned. Remember, they're back from a mission. They've been sent out by Jesus, and we we saw this earlier on in this chapter, in verse 7 to 13. They had gone out on mission, and now they return. They are gathered here very excitedly, and they want to tell Jesus how their mission has gone. They want to mention everything that they had done. 
we have to remember here that Jesus had sent them with authority so they could do miracles. They could teach and proclaim with boldness about the kingdom of God. And now they've come back from that. And so they are rightly excited and are giving Jesus um, all, the, all the scoop about the miracles and um, all that they're taught. Jesus, however, understands that... Um, so what Jesus does here, he points out something very pivotal. And that is that being on mission with him is far greater than being on mission for him. And this alludes to just the deep care that Jesus has for them. He is concerned about them. Let's have a look at verse 31. So he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Again, the word desolate or, or remote, whatever your version has, appears three times in this passage. It's not a train smash that these words are used interchangeably. But what we get here is that Mark has the wilderness in mind. Jesus is saying, it is great that you have come back from, from, from mission and have done all of these great things. You have taught God's word. You have performed all these miracles but you need to come to the wilderness and rest a while. Now in chapter 3, we have a similar thing going on. Jesus was ministering so much that he had no time to eat. We see the shepherd that cares so deeply for his disciples and all the people that are under him. They've been busy, and he knows the great danger of fatigue. He knows the danger of losing their focus on what really matters. Jesus knows that one of the dangers could be success actually going to their heads. But he certainly knows that they need to have fellowship with him. And they also need to rest because the crowds are coming. They're not stopping. They can't even rest themselves. And what we do see here is a shepherd who's deeply concerned and who wants his people to be well at rest. So verse 32 tells us, so they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. And in Matthew 14, same, same um, account of this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, it's also in connection with the death of John the Baptist. Now when Jesus, Jesus gets word of John's death, he goes to a desolate place. He goes there to mourn and to grieve. And about this time, his disciples are away. And so he can grieve and have time to mourn John the Baptist. But the disciples return, and Jesus actually lays that aside, and he's more interested in his, in his disciples who have come back from mission. Now, keep in mind, whenever you and I are involved in sharing the gospel, in making disciples, and serving God's people, you need to do it from a place of rest. We need to do it from a place of enjoying Jesus. Now, sometimes I think rest can be um, misconstrued with, like, sipping something on a yacht and maybe like St. Tropez. But actually, it's really just having the peace of God, the stillness of God, being one with God. So now the heart of this passage is found in verses 33 to 34. And so 33 reads, But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So we have to keep in mind that these brothers have gone to the surrounding villages. They have proclaimed the gospel and have performed all these miracles. 
and now they come back with all these success stories. But these crowds want more of their ministry. They want more of their teachings, but they want more of their miracles as well. And so Jesus is like, guys, let's hop onto a boat and get onto the other side, which is like an eight-mile journey. And so these people are so excited that they are running ahead of them, on foot, imagine. And so the very people who want his, who want his disciples to, the very people whom the disciples are trying to get away from are there constantly. How does Jesus respond to this? Let's have a look at verse 34. This is what he says. So when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on, on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. So, so from this, we can ascertain that um, Jesus lays down his own desire for his own rest so that he begins to teach them many things. The phrase here says he had compassion on them. And this, world, this word actually is quite active. It insinuates that Jesus was stirred deeply. He's moved deeply and he wants to meet their needs. And that is the shepherd we all need. So the good shepherd knows and he understands that there are people like us who need to be led. But here is Jesus in the midst of his mourning and yet he lays aside um, his grief in order to meet the needs of the sheep. And so this great crowd has come. This, this crowd has come because they want to make him king. From the book of John, we can glean that they are um, fed up with the current shepherds. They are just, they've had it. And they see Jesus as the king. They feel like he's the man they can trust. They have experienced Herod as the king, and they're quite fed up. They are fed up with the Romans. They don't want to be ruled by the Romans. And they have heard word from the disciples, and they have talked about how Jesus is the king, and that he has come to bring a kingdom. And so you have 5,000 men who are gathered, and in many ways they are saying, Jesus, you are the king. We want you to lead us. But sadly, they didn't understand the reason that he came. These people are being led by people who continually fail them. Herod let these people down, but also the disciples and the Pharisees let these people down. Moses, who was a wonderful shepherd leader, failed Israel. Joshua, who was also a shepherd leader, failed Israel. Saul, who started off really well, ended up failing Israel. David, who was a shepherd king, failed Israel. All the kings have failed Israel, but here is one who will not fail her. Here is the good shepherd who will come and not let them down. Now these people who have come as a multitude wanted a person who could lead them. Jesus knows that, knows that and so has compassion on them. And he begins to teach them many things. Now these people, this great crowds, gather on Jesus, but what they don't know is that, no, 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 what they don't need right now is, is a miracle. They need to be taught. They need to learn about him. They need the Savior, but they need his embrace. They need to embrace him, and they need to kiss him. How many of us think that when we come to Jesus, we need that thing sorted out. We need to be healed from that um, disease. We need a little bit of, of more money to sort out that situation. I'm sure all of us at some point have come to Jesus to get something. But actually, 
the greatest miracle here is actually getting Jesus himself. We are called to follow Jesus, and we are called to help others follow Jesus as well. Here are people who are confused. Jesus knows what they need, and they need to learn the truth. So Jesus has compassion on them because they were going in the wrong direction. And so Jesus points them to the right direction, the way that they must go. These sheep need to learn. They need to be cared for. They need to be loved. They were not being cared for by Herod or the Pharisees and the scribes. In fact, they were being abused by their spiritual leaders. And in South Africa, we know that we're not short of... um, a lot of like dodgy spiritual leaders. And so to call them out is not judgmental. In fact, in First Timothy, what we see here is Timothy being extolled to warn against false teaching. And it's actually a recurring theme in that book. And so it is a good th- it's a good thing to call them out. And so what we do see here is that they needed the Lord because they needed the truth. And Jesus sees his people, and that's what we get from this passage. He teaches them. He teaches them what would be the first sermon from the Gospel of Mark, which is the kingdom of God and its arrival. There are indeed many false teachers in our society, and there is a way that seems right to man, but it ends in destruction. Now let's have a look at verse 35 um, to see the the shepherd's character. So it reads as follows. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. So these people are paying close attention to Jesus' teaching and they've lost their sense of time and their sense of hunger, actually. It's getting late and they're getting hungry, but they don't seem to be controlled by that. The disciples seem to be getting very nervous. Here are 5,000 men who need to be fed. They have no idea where to send them. And keep in mind that Capernaum had a population of about 2,000 people and Nazareth a little less than that. And now the sum of 5,000 people gathered together is quite massive and they are all hungry. The disciples realize that they cannot feed them and they say, we need to send them away. As if this was not their problem, but actually it was. They have called these people to Jesus. So verse 37 says, you give them something to eat, he responded. So Jesus has a better idea. A better idea. Now it's also estimated that two thousand denarii was equivalent to a year's salary, because in the same verse the disciples say, "Should we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat?" But I can imagine the disciples saying, "Even if we have a year's salary, that would not suffice to feed five thousand people." Now, with that kind of response, they thought they could evade um, Jesus' command to feed them, but they didn't. Verse 38 says, so Jesus asks, he simply, simply asks, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. We know from John 6 that Andrew goes and finds a lad with five barley loaves and two fish. Then they come back with, the, with those and Jesus sends them to sit down in groups on the grass. Now, what I find interesting here is that they are sitting on the grass in groups. They are in a desert place or in the wilderness 
or a remote place, whichever one you prefer. And the good shepherd is about to feed them. Where is he feeding them? In the green pastures. It is a beautiful picture of how a good shepherd who is able to make a way is actually about to make a way. He is about to reveal his character. And so in Exodus 18, we have a similar pattern. The people break up into these groups. Let's look at the language of verse 41. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And so Jesus says a blessing, and he breaks the loaves. This language comes up again in Matthew 22, verse 26, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. The same language appears in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-four, and this is also the Lord's Supper. The good shepherd is, is now going to feed those who follow him. He is now going to sustain them. And so he performs this amazing miracle. Let's step back for a moment. Think about these 5,000 men which Jesus is about to feed. They have been told by the disciples while on mission that Jesus Christ is the king, the promised shepherd, and he's the Messiah, and that he's come to bring the kingdom of God. I believe they would have asked, how are you guys being taken care of? You're not even carrying an extra change of clothing or sandals. You don't even have lunch bags with you. To which the disciples would have responded, our master's taking care of us. If we follow him, he has promised to take care of our needs. Perhaps they're reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount or other teachings that um, they've listened to um, when Jesus tells them, I will take care of you. And as they do that, they are beginning to take Jesus' word to heart, that he will meet their needs. So and there's going to be this communion meal in this grassy area in the wilderness. So John, John's version throws in other details here. But the disciples are told to sit down in rows of hundreds and fifties alongside the crowd. And what we're reminded of here is the garden plot, which goes back to the book of Ezekiel. When the Messiah comes... He will turn the wilderness into a garden. And here are these group of men sitting and asking, what is for dinner? And I'm sure the disciples say, it's a surprise. (laughs) I can imagine they're a little bit nervous. He divides the fish and the loaves and he feeds them and they are satisfied. The text doesn't tell us how this happens, but there was just constantly enough. The text doesn't quite give us the specifics. But the crux of the matter is that the Lord sustained them and he nourished them, giving them strength. He cared for them. I was thinking about how the good shepherd serves us in our wilderness. Sometimes life is deeply painful. And so um, if you ever look at Psalm 88, the last words there are, darkness is my companion. Have you ever had those days which seem like you're in a deep darkness? You are wounded by a friend or a family member, or you have this illness that just persists, or you have fallen on hard economic times. But when you look at the next psalm, which is 89, the first verse says, I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. For the Christian, the last word is never darkness. Our Savior, our Good Shepherd, he leads us into this marvelous light, and he cares for us. 
So when we are in the wilderness, our good shepherd comes alongside us and he feeds us and he sustains us. And so as believers, we're in this wilderness, which is called the world. And we're serving the Lord. But the Lord has set a table for us. We come and we feast upon him and we are strengthened by him. Our good shepherd shows us that he has the capability and the character to sustain us. He has the ability to sustain us. He has the ability to meet our needs. So the disciples state, the disciples state, with the year's wages, we could not feed this crowd. They understood the requirement and what was being asked of them and that they couldn't meet it. They didn't have the resources. But Jesus was right there and he's what they needed. And so lastly, the cross of the shepherd in verse 43, it says, they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Have you wondered where these 5,000 men were when Jesus was betrayed? Where they were when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Where these men were when Jesus was horribly treated by the authorities? What happened between this miracle and the arrest of Jesus? These are some of the questions that hit me as I was preparing. Somewhere along the line, it's quite clear that they were unaware of the miracle that was unfolding. Or maybe they were very forgetful. They forgot the character and the person of Jesus. Again, we don't know what happened to these men as they were being fed. The disciples knew, but they lost sight of who he was. And so essentially, these people will forsake him, including the disciples. And this means that Jesus Christ will go to the cross, and on the cross, he will pay the penalty for everyone who will repent and believe upon his name. It is by going to the cross that the point of this miracle, as Mark intends it, will be seen. Because Christ, the good shepherd, will lay down his life for his sheep, he will then take it up again for their justification. Justification is just a fancy word to say, made right in the sight of God. As John points out, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. The massive group of people will forsake Jesus in the end, and he will die alone. As a result, or to just wrap this up, um, we can return to our shepherd, to the shepherd of our souls. If you're here today and your life is without purpose or God's direction because you're outside God's sheepfold or you've gone astray, the good news is that the shepherd came not, came not just to satisfy us, um, with miracles or to satisfy this group with uh, food but for a deeper satisfaction one of mercy and forgiveness the satisfaction that comes with grace and that comes with um, sonship this is the God sh this is the good shepherd who says today turn from your sins and come to me today and if you consider yourself as sheep who has been found perhaps you need a reminder we over and over again need to be reminded because it's so easy to forget of the goodness of God and that the good shepherd is able to prepare a table in the wilderness. Amen.